Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. Well, hello there and welcome to another Senior Times Woman to Woman podcast with me, Mairead Robinson. Now, as part of our series of talking to women from all walks of life, we listen to their respective journeys and we hear about the human story behind their experiences. While every shared story is engaging, I think you'll find today's guest particularly interesting on a number of levels. She has over 20 years working in sales leadership at a local and international level in the technology and media sector, working with companies such as Google, Real Networks, Ericsson's, Logica. I think the term high flyer was actually coined with this lady in mind. Serena, you're very welcome. And thank you very much for joining us today. So let's start at the beginning of this story. Thank you so much, Mairead. It's a pleasure for me to be here and you're, you're too kind in your description of me. Um, so I, when I'm asked where I'm from, it's always, are you a dub or are you from Cork? But actually I originated in Dublin and uh, moved to Cork when I was, I don't know, about 10 years of age. So a place called Ahara is my, my homestead where my parents are. So I, I grew up there. We did interlude in Kerry for a short period before we hit Cork and, um, so, yeah, so my parents are still living there. And then when I came to my leaving, I decided I wanted to come back to Dublin to study. So I, I rooted back to, to DCU. Um, and I suppose there lies the journey. And that's where it all began. Um, I, I started, I did communication studies. I majored in broadcasting. I had visions of myself working in radio. And then at that period as well, IT was beginning to develop as an industry. Ireland was going through a tough time as well. A lot of friends with IT backgrounds were moving to the UK. Um, and then from working a, in a broadcasting perspective, there were very limited opportunities. So I decided to be very sensible and, and uh, reroute, I guess, myself. And I went back to college and did a postgrad in computer systems. So that's when I suppose my story in tech and my life in tech really, really um, began. Some of the info that you were giving me from our chat earlier on, you seem to have some pretty wild adventures around the world as a young 20-something woman. Something caught my eye. You were caught up in a Tamil Tiger bombing. Tell us that story. That's right. So... So I joined Ericsson and I joined within the sales and marketing division. And part of my job was to travel to various local offices around the world and uh, try and um, develop their sales proposition around training. Okay, which was great. And I was given the Indian and Sri Lankan market as my first port of call. That was my uh, my territory. So off I went, uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed, very excited about this first international trip. Um, we got into India, spent a couple of ta- a couple of days there, and then went to Sri Lanka and found. You know, I woke up in the middle of the you know very early morning, and there were uh, helicopters flying overhead. There was sirens. It was organised chaos, and a bomb had actually gone off in the central back bank, which was a couple of blocks away from us. Um, and in fact, we were to have stayed in the hotel right next door to the central bank. And it was actually the Tamil Tigers that had blown it up. And quite, what was quite interesting for me was that you know there were a lot of internationals involved. There were internationals killed. People who worked in Ericsson were obviously um, extremely nervous because Ericsson were rolling out infrastructure in the area and 
their infrastructure was frequently getting blown up out in the rural areas. Um, but now we were worried about what was actually going to happen centrally within the, the city centre, because clearly if you're going to try and take a country out and cause chaos, you hit the t- you know, telecommunications network. But for myself and my colleague, we were trying to ring home and tell my folks that, you know, we were fine. And I was in my early 20s, my first international trip. And my parents were at home listening to the international news about how these internationals had been killed in a terrorist attack in, in Colombo. <laughs> but it was it was quite the experience because we got very up close and personal to what was going on because I we did run out of the hotel and shouldn't have really. But we wanted to explore and, and see what was going on. So it was quite frightening because there were family members of people we worked with who were also caught up in it. Um, but it took us 24 hours because the international exchange was so congested. You know, calls could get out or get in. So my parents weren't too sure whether we were alive or dead or what had happened, but we were fine. But glad, glad to, to leave the city after. You know, I can imagine that's yeah. a pretty scary experience. Yeah. But you've yeah. traveled a lot to exotic yeah. countries because you went off to Malaysia then and you stayed there for two years. Now that's an interesting place to go. That's right. Um, so I went over on a three month project and then they were building out a particular business center. Again, this was through Ericsson and they asked me if I'd continue to stay. And it was during a very interesting era. There was a the prime minister there was called Mahathir and he had a, a vision. He was calling it the 2020 vision, which is quite funny now because it was back in the, you know, in the 90s. And here we are <laughs> decades later. But they were rolling out all sorts of smart infrastructure and they were trying to drive technology developments across education, across healthcare. You know, they were investing huge amounts in fibre. So it was an amazing time to be there because they were being quite innovative in their thinking. But because I was there, I was also serving the territory. So I would have been out to Thailand or into Indonesia. I would have, you know, been out to the Philippines, would have stretched out towards Hong Kong. I mean, I was serving the area. Um, and it was great because I got to see Southeast Asia, you know, on a company's, you know, I suppose, credit card. Um, and then had the luxury of meeting a lot of local people as I went because I would have been working with them as well as meeting with customers. So, um, yeah, it was very exciting. Did you enjoy the East? You did. Did you enjoy the food and the culture and the climate? Culturally, it was interesting because I was a Western woman um, and back in the 90s. Um, expats would typically have been men and also male, you know, techno- you know, the telecoms industry and technology was quite male dominated at that time. Of course. And you um, were young too. You were young. And I was young. So I would have been an unusual one to, ro- to roll into a meeting, you know, and on whatever and deal with people of all levels, actually, um, and have to engage because they didn't know what to expect. Mm. And you had to respect the culture because... You know, some gentleman wouldn't shake my hand and would actually say to me, I'm, you know, I'm not, I can't shake your hand. And, you know, I had to respect that. Um, so for me, it was a learning experience. And I would have had to be very respectful in how I was dressing and how I was conducting myself, as, as you would normally. That's still but the case. Indeed, extra, yeah. Um, so that was, that was quite different because there was an expectation, you know, especially on the younger generation of who I was and what I was until they got to know me. Um, so, yeah, but it was a fantastic growing up experience for me. And we went out recently. Um, my husband grew up in Singapore and uh, he was there for about 11 years and then he came back to his aunt into Ireland. And his mum, who inspired our business, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, she did Chinese medicine. She came from a medical background and then when she went out there, she hurt her back. And 
she wasn't working. She was raising the kids and she decided she'd go back and she'd study. And she studied Chinese medicine for about 10 years. Interesting. And she, and, yeah. And then she came back into Ireland and she started an acupuncture um, clinic and an alternative medicine clinic. Mm-hmm. But she would have been looking at the whole holistic thing, you know, not just sticking a few pins in you. You know, she would actually look at the spiritual and psychological element to healing. I know, um, of course, it's very popular now. Absolutely. So yeah. she would have been seen as a little bit, you know, radical back, back then. In the yes. Back in the day. And so recently, um, she passed away at the beginning of this year. Oh, so sorry. we brought our son out to Singapore and to Malaysia in February to scatter her ashes. Oh, so, which was lovely. But we, it was great to go back and actually bring our son out there because he would have been the same age as my husband was when he left the, the region. And it's a very special region on, on so many. It's a wonderful connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie? Doro, make friends with innovation. So you certainly travelled a lot. I mean, you 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 said yourself you you might go to the Philippines and you would go to Brazil and you'd be flying here and there. So yeah. you you quietened down a little bit then, didn't you? You went to the UK and you settled down a bit. I did. I quietened down because it got to a stage where you know, as you say, I could have been in Brazil one week and then I'd come home and then I'd literally just drop a suitcase and forget the laundry. I'd be packing another bag, you know, and then heading off, you know, somewhere else and. It was, it was very intense. I loved it and so on, but I wasn't, I didn't have a life. I didn't have a life. Um, and then I met somebody, um, and they were living in England and they said, would you come over? And I was like, I'm not really sure I want to move, um, to England for any relationships and or anything. And then I thought about it. I said, why not? You know, so I, I moved over really. I suppose, still with work focus, but also looking at my social life as well. That didn't work out, which was fine. It was, you know, it was an experiment more than anything. But I, I, you know, lived in London, you know, for almost 10 years, um, which I loved. Huge energy as well. And again, I continued traveling. I think what happens if you get profiled as somebody who is, has international experience, you slot into that and you continue on that train. Of course. Um, but I eventually got to the point back in about 2007, I was like, I want to come home. You know, my grandparents had died. My parents, you know, I wasn't seeing enough of them and I wanted to settle. So I came back to, to Dublin, continued to work for a company in London for a while, traveling back and forth and then moved into an Irish company and then found myself going back into Ericsson, the alma mater, as it were. And I met my husband and then things completely slowed down. So, we, you know, so, so you met him in Dublin. He was working in, in Ericsson. Okay. We worked together. He was leaving. He had two weeks to go in the and company. You just join me. Yeah. Um, and that was fortunate because I'm not sure it would have happened had we continued, had we been working together, you know. So um, so that was it. Um, life stabilized back home. And it was, it was so fantastic to be home, actually. Lovely just to be able to get in the car and go for a walk on the beach or drive to Marks and Spencer's in Black Rock and do a shop. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All these normal things you take for granted um, that you miss. When you're on the move all the time. And, and you have a you have a son now, you have a little boy, Will. 
I do. That's right. He's 11. Yes. So how did you manage both yourself and your husband being so busy career-wise running a home and a family and how did you manage all of that? And how do you manage all that? Oh, do you know, I think like every other couple out there, you know, you get squeezed because you're, you're trying to balance it, you know, all around. Um, so I was working in Google, actually, when I had Will. Um, or actually, I, I, I started Google just after I had Will. I loved Google. It was a fantastic company to work for. But again, super busy dealing with the states late at night at an international team. So I would be on to Australia or Japan early in the morning. So there were long days. And my husband, he was traveling. He had an international job as well. Um, Will had been a little bit ill when he had been younger, nothing serious, but enough to make him a little bit anxious. Um, And when he started school, he had a tough junior infants. And we were like, what are we doing? Like we're outsourcing our house, we're outsourcing our dogs and we're outsourcing our child. If he wasn't at after school, you know, daycare, he had a minder. And like, it was just, like, what were we doing? So um, I said, right, that's it. I'm just going to take some time out. I've, I've done the career, done the travel. And he was, you know, my family were more important. You're so uh, right, aren't you? I know a lot of women are um, find themselves in that situation after, you know, an exhausting career lasting 10, maybe 20 years. And then they think, hey, what's happening? You know, the kids are growing up and just, you know, rushed and, and, and running from one thing to another. So mm-hmm. it was a brave thing to do because you obviously had a fantastic career. Well, it, I think for any woman that gives up their work, it, it you know, initially it's like, God, this is exciting. And then it's like, who am I? Yes, exactly. You spend your life, you have an identity and yes. everybody knows you. And even my name, like I, you know, I didn't take my marriage name. I, I now work in Double Barrel, which is what I never would do. But I'm still suing a lot as I had a career that people, I know a lot of people who would know me by that. And then I was in my family world as talent, purely. And I was like, I, I, I need to maintain my identity as to, to who I am. Um, and when you do step out of work, your confidence gets a little bit of a, a knock because people ask you, what do you do? And then you go, yes. well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mum. And you go, oh, and then there's a moment of kind of, okay, quietness. And then it's like, so what did you do? And <laughs> it's There's a lot going on in my life. There's a lot going on in my life now. I'm busier now than I, and you do find that. I think moms that come out of work, it's extremely I think, busy. Yeah. Right? Busier then than they were when they were working. I do find that. Yeah. yeah. I have a friend yeah. I was just chatting to recently and she took early retirement and um, she was only 15. And I said, oh, you're retired. You, you know, you took retirement. She said, no, it's not retiring. It's redirecting. And she's exactly. so busy. She's involved in so much stuff. Busier than she ever was as a school um, teacher. That's, and that's what happens. You do because... Yeah. You get yourself organized, you're managing your family, you're managing your parents, you know, and everyone is squeezed, as I say again, you know, we were with my, with both our parents when we were working too. I just got involved in extracurriculars, you know, I wanted to give back to the community and wouldn't have had as much time to do that when I was working clearly. So then got involved in in local initiatives then. But Um, I'm I'm interested in the, in the companies and the businesses you've started now, and that's definitely going to be of interest to our listeners. So Mm. because there was illness in the family. Tell me about that. And what brought you to um, to starting Respecting Seniors? Yeah. So there were a couple of things. Um, I think one was Niall's mum. She had a chronic illness. Um, she had home care for a while. It was very debilitating. It was a form of Parkinson's. Um, but ultimately, she needed to move into a nursing home. And she was dropped in there the day COVID, the day the COVID lockdown happened, we actually popped her into a nursing home and literally just dropped her with her boxes and stuff. And that was it. And walked out the door. The poor woman didn't know what was happening, you know. Um, And then we moved her to a nursing home closer to us. But because she was high dependency, 
Nile was in there all the time to try and help her. Um, so, you know, she had issues with mobility. She had issues with, you know, feeding herself. It was just, it was, it was very difficult. And yet at the same time, she was very mentally aware of what was going on. Yes. Um, and so we, we had, we got quite an insight as to what is needed when, when somebody moves into a nursing home. And we'll talk a little bit about that now in a moment, but we learned an awful lot. And then my mom got cancer in parallel. Um, so she had lymphoma and thankfully she has recently, you know, come out of it. Um, but that was tricky because she's living in Cork and with my dad and we don't have any family there. So it's, you know, the grace of our family friends that have been trying to help them when we're not around. So that distance factor in staying in contact, but not being able to physically be there as regular as you wanted to be to help them was tricky to the point that like last week, mum actually fell outside. Oh, um, and now she's in a cast. She's got a broken knee and she's in the cast. She was an hour sitting outside and she dragged herself into the house and she rang my dad on the phone. Oh, woman. And he was in the front room thinking she was outside in the sunshine reading the newspaper. You know, so you see, I suppose for us, that's the very recent thing that happened. But like throughout the time watching mum being ill and then with Annette in the nursing home, there were things that families try and do their best with. So with nursing home care, family, you know, families are going to visit their loved one if they're close by. Sometimes they're not close by, so they can't actually see them. Um, they'll buy things in a rush because the nurse tells them you, they need pajamas or they need new toiletries or whatever. Yes. Toiletries are left aside, you know, in the hall as you're running out the door. Sometimes there aren't toiletries they bought. You know, people who've got sensitive skin when they get older shouldn't be wearing perfumed things. You know, whatever products they get, they should be, you know, highly moisturizing. People don't think about it because you're just trying to do your best. You know, people buy gorgeous pajamas that have small buttons and that are made of polyester and they look beautiful. If you've got dexterity issues in your fingers, like my mum has, or for sure Annette has, there's no way you're going to be able to open and close buttons. You know, your fabrics need to be breathable. And if someone's dressing you in a nursing home, you want to, you want something that has a wide neck and has buttons down the front so it can help you get your arms into it because most people have mobility issues. You know, I suppose for us, all of these things, we wanted to ensure that whoever's in a nursing home or even at home, we want them to maintain their dignity just because their body is beginning to fall apart. (laughs) My my side's going. But, you know, when the body begins to slow down, that doesn't mean you're not the person that you always have been. Right. I think from listening to you, I think from the from the carers for the family, yeah. uh, you're torn between um, supporting them practically and also emotionally, yeah. especially if somebody is terminal. You want to be there close to their heart all the time, exactly. not having to go organizing all the practical things that need to be organized as well. And that's exactly it, Marie. People should be spending the time focusing on being with them. Yes. And connecting with them directly, as opposed to running around, buying stuff, buying the wrong stuff returning stuff, all that stress yes, that comes Forget about it. And that's one thing that we said we felt we needed at the time. We didn't want to have to do that. And um, we wanted to be able to go somewhere and then just have it delivered directly to a national nursing home or my parents. And for the right thing. And yes. the right thing. And the things that we weren't thinking about. You know, like even mum's fall, for example, the other day, where we have a watch from Doro at the moment. And on that watch there's a button that you click if you hit the floor and it'll actually ring your closest person closest to you and it'll rotate around to various numbers until you actually find someone so you can actually speak to them. Excellent. If you lose your 
you know, so it's, and had she been wearing something like that, because she sure wouldn't wear a necklace, you know, with them, with them, with the panic button on it. I know she wouldn't. That would have made, I think, her issue that she had a lot easier to manage the other day in her fall. But I suppose it's just the thinking of how do you take the pressure off the family? How do you make life easier for them? But also for the seniors in question, how do you ensure that they're enjoying, you know, their I suppose the toiletries, their pajamas, the technologies, even their rooms. If you're in a nursing home, I don't know if you've been in many nursing home rooms, they can be quite, um, I suppose, clinical. Yes. And what you want, you know, is trying to make it as, as homely and as comfortable as is possible for that individual. So we sell a range of different things that will actually make the, you know, be blankets or photo frames or diffusers or whatever. But the whole idea is just to make it more personal. We wrap everything up with tissue paper with a bow. So everything that's sent, it could be a toothpaste, yes. you know, and a, and a toothbrush. We wrap it with, in tissue paper with a bow and we'll send it to them. So it's a gifting experience as well. I think your journey is really interesting because from, from your high-flying career, you're now doing something so incredibly helpful and so incredibly worthwhile. I think our listeners are going to be very interested. Before we finish up, Thank would you, you um, tell us again the name of the website and how people can contact you to see what services you can offer them? Absolutely, Mairead. Um, the company's called A Little and Often, so you get something a little and often, um, and it's www.alittleandoften.com. Alittleandoften.com. That's right, yeah. Thank you. Excellent. Well, listen, it's wonderful talking to you. You're a very inspiring woman, and I wish you and your family well. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Mairead. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Phone poke and nuoet, on will knappy no fum nis orjoet. Nis eskalehusod, faker no phone in tokatal gwin, on cho, egg doro. On von klishte is dany, gidi gohon la hai glinna, august taskina. Tarod egen, gogachtena. Tanismo olis, egg, doro.com.